Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Anne-Marie Miller of Bloom Where You're Planted to talk about her experience with urban farming in Texas. Anne-Marie, or Dash for the hyphen in her name, is an urban farmer in Dallas, Texas. She raises chickens and rabbits on less than a quarter of an acre. Plus, she has turned her front yard into a large stand-out-in-the-neighborhood vegetable garden. Congratulations on that, by the way. In addition to the farming she does on her homestead, she helped create a community garden literally from grassy field to thriving garden. What stands out about her little urban homestead is her determined out-of-the-box approach to overcoming obstacles. You can follow her adventures on her little urban homestead by visiting her blog, bloomoryourplanted.com. Welcome to the show today, Dash. Thank you, Craig. It's really good to be here. Yeah, perfect. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure, yeah. Well, me and my sister joke that um, gardening is in our genes, Uh, (laughs) not just in my dirty gardening genes, but Uh in my genetic genes. Right. Um, I say that because my grandfather had this huge garden, and he also had his whole backyard once covered with strawberries, the whole backyard. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, but unfortunately, the garden gate was closed. We were not allowed in the garden. So, uh-huh. Yeah, so grandparents everywhere, open the gate. <laughs> Let them in. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but um, me and my sisters tried to grow a garden in the backyard when we were young, and mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, the backyard was what I call squirrel landscaped. Oh, yes. And that means that the squirrels planted nuts, and my mom was always rooting for the little guy literally in a sense and so she protected each one of these little trees that came up from the lawnmower and so it was just i've been kind of plagued by shade so it's not conducive to growing vegetables all right (laughs) everywhere i lived i planted flowers i planted roses i landscaped i love being outdoors but i never planted vegetables and can you guess why that's a great question why wouldn't you plant vegetables Well, because 
my mom was a single mom, and um, she worked sometimes one to two jobs, uh-huh. and we ate things out of a box, uh-huh. and we ate canned food, uh-huh. and vegetables for me were just not really part of the equation. I didn't really know what to do with mm-hmm. them. I think it gives me a good perspective on on someone maybe in that situation that just doesn't even, they're foreign. They just don't know how to cook with them or anything. Right. Don't even know what they are, you know. So fast forward many moons and and two things happened. My kids started to have some health problems, some pretty Mm. serious health problems. And I prayed about it and God kind of put before me people that taught me what health was. And there were a lot of varying opinions about what health is and isn't. But the main thing that everyone agreed on was that it was, you know, your diet should be 80% fresh, organic vegetables. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then another thing happened. Um, I always wanted to live on a farm my whole life. I think I kind of had a romantic idea of what farm life was. Right. I have a little... I have a little bit better concept of what it is now, but, um, and so one night I was talking to God about, you know, my want to have property and live on a farm and have animals, and he said, child, just stop pining for what you don't have and bloom where you're planted. Mm, nice. So I decided to do just that. So uh-huh. I went out in my backyard and I tried to grow a garden. What people do in the city is they buy bags of manure, and they try to, you know, put it in their garden bed. And so I was doing that, but there's one rule that I I live by is you don't pay good money for manure. Oh, yes, exactly. There's all yeah. kinds of it out there. <laughs> yeah. So I decided chickens. If I got chickens, I could have as much manure as I wanted, mm-hmm. and I could also have fresh eggs. So uh, what stopped me, I think, was the coop, the building of the coop. Oh, yes. Uh, that seemed intimidating to me, and I'm kind of an, an artsy writer, gardening type, and exact measurement really isn't my friend, and you really can't <laughs> budge when you're building. <laughs> right. So I ran across this website. It was the garden girl, Patty Moreno. And uh, I'm sure she's moved on. It looks like she's moved on to more lucrative things. But at the time, she was sharing her her little acreage in, I think it was just like a fourth of an acre in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And she built this chicken coop. It was kind of a chicken tractor on a raised bed. And uh, she built it on video. I mean, totally the oh, whole nice. thing on video. Right. Yeah. So I thought, this I can do. So I went and got the materials and... I built this thing and was ready for chickens. So we got chickens and um, we kind of stopped watching TV and watched the chicken channel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are a lot of fun and they were so much fun for my kids and I really enjoy enjoy raising them. Mm-hmm. But so I took the chicken manure. I'm so excited to have that. I put right. it in my little garden plot and you know what? Nothing really happened because I really had no sun in my backyard. Mm. <laughs> And as much as I cut lens and tried to create sun, there was just really not enough sun. Uh, and to complicate the problem, the chickens now would escape sometimes, or the, or the kids would leave the gate open, and the chickens would eat the meager vegetables that In I could coax out of the ground, you know? Yeah. So I started looking for a community garden. Um, and I found out that in Dallas, they're 
kind of expensive to join, and I was surprised. And uh, I thought, well, I can save more money just going and buying these organic vegetables at the grocery store than doing all this work growing them if I'm paying this monthly amount. And so... Um, so I prayed because I tried to go to the Father about my problems. Right. And um, I opened my eyes and I happened to be by the window. <laughs> and I looked out the window and I saw the church across the street and they have this huge field that they're on. Oh, and so I said, Nice. Okay. All right. I can do this. So I walked across the street and I asked the pastor, I said, Have you, you know, have you ever thought about a community garden? And he says to me, oh, Yes, we're starting one. I've already got this group that's ready to go with it. Would you like to be a part of it? Oh my gosh. So I'm getting chills uh-huh. right now. How cool is that? Uh huh. So we started, we went out in a, you know, a grassy, weedy field in the middle of summer. And. If I could write a book, my first book, I think, would be How Not to Start a Community Garden. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a really good book to write and to read. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. There was a lot of learning curve there. And, uh, well, there were were a couple of planners in the group. There were a lot of doers. And... um, Oh, well, that's good. Well, yeah, but... Well, the planners, I think they thought we, they had convinced the doers that they were going to go and, you know, plan, like, maybe a water source, maybe raise some funds, you know, important things, maybe visit gardens and see how others do it, right? So, so I think they thought they had convinced the, plan, the doers, you know, that they would uh, to hold off and that they would plan. Uh-huh. And, and so the planners went into their homes and to their computers probably and started to plan. Meanwhile, the doers did what doers do in the garden. They just dug. <laughs> nice. So there was a little drama when the planners came back out and they saw the garden site had already been, you know, started. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of met an obstacle and we overcame it. And then we met another obstacle and overcame it. But needless to say... Um, I won't tell you what camp I was in, the doers or the planners, but, you know, I know that my friends are listening to this and they're saying, I don't know what camp she was in. She was out there digging herself a garden. There you go. (laughs) But um, despite our growing pains, um, today, where there used to be this grassy, weedy field, Uh there is a thriving garden, community garden. but about halfway through our project, the pastor at the church resigned, and they were getting a new pastor, and so we were all kind of a little bit fearful that he would get there and say, well, I don't want a garden, I want a baseball diamond here, you know. Right. But um, he is an amazing man. He's a good man, and he's a great gardener, and he oh, can grow. Oh, he loved it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we were blessed with that. He is a, he can grow some food. That man can. So I pretty much learned everything I know about gardening from Pastor Bruce and um Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I I saw how big zucchini is and yellow squash mm-hmm. plants got. I was kind of amazed and um believe it or not, at the time I did not know what kale was. I mean, if somebody had told me to go to the grocery store and buy them kale, uh-huh. I would have said, mm, you know, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> well, I found for myself that I, that's what, how I learn. I, before I grew broccoli, I had no idea. Yeah, you know, so, exactly. Me too. Right? Yeah. And, uh-huh, and collard greens. Yep. I mean, those, I remember as a kid getting a little taste of those out of a can and I uh-huh. think run into, run into the trash can and spit those out. Oh, but, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, but fresh collard greens are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I put them in everything. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah. 
And I couldn't stand cauliflower. And now, you know, roasted with a little oil on it, maybe some rosemary. And my daughter thinks that is, that's her favorite snack. I remember eggplant. My kids thought it was like a purple football, and you know they <laughs> threw it back and forth in the field by the garden. And I was like, "Okay, be careful with that because we're going to eat that later." And they looked at me like, "Uh oh." <laughs> yeah. I found that when kids grow their own food, and we talked about this many times on the podcast, when they grow their own food, they eat it. Absolutely, yeah. I find that to be true. Also. <laughs> so I'm looking. You you were our featured farmer here a while back, and congratulations on that. That's cool. And I'm looking through some of the pictures here, and in your intro, you talked about this epic front yard f- farm. So tell us about that, would you? Yeah. Well, uh, since I had helped create the community garden, it wasn't a huge step for me to do it in my front yard. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of shade in my backyard. I really can't grow anything there, but it's great for my animals. So we raise rabbits now and the chickens, of course, and uh, it's nice and cool for them. So I decided, okay, this is where I have fun. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And so I started with two raised beds and, you know, in my neighborhood, if something sprouts, the rabbits come and they eat it. Oh, I yeah. mean, everything. They eat everything down to the very nub. There's no, nothing, you know, that can be grown with right. the rabbits around. So I had to do a fence. And I didn't have money to do a fence, really. So I, I got pallets and I broke the pallets mm. down in such a way. And I painted them white. And it, I really think it looks like a, a pretty picket fence. My neighbors loved it. And so, I put chicken wire on the inside, you know, so the rabbits, so the rabbits can't get in. Yep. Right, and you really can't even see the chicken wire. It just looks like a picket fence. So oh, it does. So I, there's a picture yeah. right in front of me now on our website, urbanfarm.org, and it does. It just looks like a very nice white picket fence. How cool! Is, I would never have guessed that was pallets. Thank you. That is Thank so you. cool. When there was the opportunity to put raised beds in it, okay, those can be expensive, to be honest. The wood itself can be expensive. And then Mm -hmm. to fill them, if I had some stuff here, compost here and uh, soil for my chicken yard, but I I needed amendments to fill them with. And um, so I thought outside the box, and I got some sponsors uh, from my church to pay for the wood Mm -hmm. and and for the for some of the um, amendments in that went in the raised beds. And in exchange, I brought them vegetables for the spring season, and I would do season by season. I would bring them vegetables every week or every two weeks for the winter season. So I'm still doing that now for the winter wow. season. Wow. So. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I have never heard that one before. You yeah. basically You basically did a CSA in exchange for your garden, front yard garden beds. Yes, exactly. Exactly, because wow. I, I didn't have the money to go to right. start all that. Yeah, and they're enjoying it, and I, I think they like being part of yeah. part of the whole project, you know? Wow, that that is truly one of the most cool things I've heard on the podcast yet. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is why this is a stand-out-in-the-neighborhood vegetable garden. Yes, it does stand out. Yeah, and and I had a little bit of trouble uh, with the city. It's not really so much the garden that they have a problem with. A lot of a lot of people have plants in their front yard and vegetables mm-hmm. you know, as part of their landscape. But the problem was the rabbits were eating everything, and so I had to do a fence. And what they do have a problem with in most cities is fencing ordinances for your front yard, which which I can understand, right? Because you know you wouldn't want your neighbor to privacy fence their whole front yard. 
so we had a little uh, back and forth about that, and uh-huh. um, and eventually we came to an agreement, and uh, it had to be a certain height, so I had to saw a little off, and oh, perfect. Um, and they wanted it more regulated. The the picket that they could tell it was you know it's not exactly your standard picket fence, right? And so they wanted it more regulated. So I had to replace some of the pallets, and and without saying. I couldn't really come out and say, well, these are made from pallets. Oh, <laughs> yes, exactly. So I replaced some, and um, so worked it out, and they approved it. So I was really glad about it. Well, here's, so I'm going to thank you for doing that, because one of our big challenges as urban farmers is walking our way through the morass, I'm going to call it, of governments trying to, you know, regulate things. Um so thank Absolutely. you thank you so much for being a standout and doing something about that. That is huge. Well, it was really neat, too, the way my neighbors came out to support me. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I asked them uh, if they would write letters and supported me and, and my garden if, if they felt that way, and they did, and they were all for it. And I've, I've had so many people drive by and say, I've been watching. Hmm. I'm loving what you're doing. Nice. People come up to my door and rang my doorbell and said, I love your garden, you know, and ask me questions. And, and so I got letters to, written for the city that, um, that just were for my project and yeah. I told them for every complaint you get I can provide five people that that want this so they took them and they put them on file so I don't nice <laughs> nice so it, was, I, it I, was really nice to feel supported uh, by my big, neighborhood big time big time uh-huh. I've worked really hard so I'm on a street with 21 other houses built in the 1950s here and I've worked mm-hmm. really hard over the past 25 years to enroll my neighbors in this process mm-hmm. as well to get them engaged. Absolutely. And I, so you've worked with your neighbors. What kind of work have you done with your neighbors to get them in, enrolled in this process? I mean, part of it was you CSA'd out your garden beds. What else? Well, I think it, I think it really just takes one person on the block to have a neighborhood, you know, party and mm-hmm. to get a list of numbers and names. And so we put up a list of houses. We just, you know, drew the houses on the page mm-hmm. and had them write their information if they wanted it. And that way, you you know, you're more likely to call somebody before you pop over for sugar. Or maybe they left their garage door open and you can call them and say, you know, did yeah. you mean to do that? Should I go close that? And somehow that, knowing each other's names and having the numbers made us, I don't know, it made us contact each other more. Right. Yeah, and so we all became, and, and I have found that when I'm out in the front yard, people are coming by. I'm a lot more accessible. Isn't you know, that getting cool? To know people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I have that happen. I had some of my neighbors, I have this dang near a hedge of snow peas growing in my front yard right now. And some of the neighbors and the kids were walking by and they said, what is that? And so I, I harvested a handful of snow peas and handed it to them and you know, they were eating it right there on the street. So it, food is such a, you know, such a great way to connect. And, you know, having mm-hmm. your garden in your front yard is a great way to connect with the neighbors, don't you think? It is, yes. And I'm always taking vegetables. You know, that never hurts. Yep. And eggs, that never hurts. You know, yeah, people love exactly. that. So. <laughs> exactly. I notice on your website, uh, bloomwhereyourplanted.com, there's a tab that says Urban Gardening 101. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that blog post? Yeah, I just wanted to show someone uh, how to do a raised bed and what to put in it and the different options. And 
and also, um, you know, if you can't afford to uh, to do it, the sponsorship idea, mm-hmm. um, just to not let anything stop you, even if you're even if you're handicapped and you 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 really can't do the heavy lifting, lifting, you can pay someone on your block. You know, there's I'm sure there's someone on on your block that needs that um, needs a little extra money. Yeah, they can set that up for you. So just not to let anything stop you, I guess. Yeah. So on Urban Gardening 101, you it's three steps, and it's basically step-by-step step on how to build out raised bed gardens. Yes? Yes, yeah. The wood, um, I make mine uh, four by eight uh-huh. and just screw them together. And then uh, we have uh, living earth technologies in, in our part of the country, and I don't know about other places, but <laughs> that's probably where I would go to get my amendments if I didn't um, if I didn't have compost made in my yard right but I think one one thing that does make a huge difference is a manure source oh yes uh, so if you can have an animal I know a lot of places around me are really restricted you know they're not don't allow chickens um, but even a rabbit your kids will love it and you can add that straight to the garden it's not hot you can just you can top dress it on your plants, so that makes makes a huge difference. My garden really took off when I was able to put composted manure in it. Yeah, fantastic. Now that was rabbit manure, correct? Yes. Yeah, and I have chickens too, so I'm able to add chickens. But I know some people aren't yet allowed to have chickens. Mm. Right, and that's a that's a process we're going through, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, why do you think urban farming is important? I think in our own small way, we're making a huge difference in the environment. Um, Not having vegetables transported such a long way, and uh, they're healthier for us. Um, But I think in in our small way, we're making a difference. But I think if there are a thousand of us, (laughs) (laughs) that's making a huge difference. You know, that's when it starts to get exciting. That. and just buying locally, even if you can't do a garden, if you're buying locally from a local farmer that you that you know with a CSA, mm-hmm. then you're providing a market for that. You're providing a market for organic vegetables, and organic vegetables are grown so much differently than others in that the soil is sustainable, it's healthy, it's rich, um, it's going to last for generations, and that's making a huge difference in the environment, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So recently you wrote an article for Urban Farm U on vermicomposting. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and why it's beneficial? Sure. It's basically using earthworms, Mm -hmm. red wigglers, putting them in a Tupperware bin, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and damp, and you want newspapers on top and kind of compost on the bottom, um, and you're going to feed them in that in-between layer, feed Mm. them about once a week with a handful of lettuce or, you know, veggies, waste, you know, whatever you have, scraps. Right. And they're going to produce for you this great (laughs) black gold that is awesome for your garden. Yeah. And it's awesome because it's got um, microorganisms that are really good for the soil. And so it's, it's really good for your soil health, and it's all about the soil. If you... Uh, your veggies, you think the plant, what does the plant need? Well, the, it's in the soil, really, that, that you need to boost up to grow healthy, beautiful plants. And so, yeah, about every 10 weeks, I take my bin out, 
and I sift out this black gold and I add it to my garden or I add it to my seedlings that oh, I'm yes. planting. Yeah, or even pots. Um, but it's, I haven't yet seen the benefits of it because I, you know, recently started it and I've added my first batch. Oh, nice. Um, to my seedlings. And mm-hmm. so I'm kind of watching and waiting to see the difference between the seedlings that have the black gold, the, the worm poop, if you will. Right. And, and the seedlings that don't. So, oh, so I'm kind you, of seeing. You're doing an experiment here, right? So you're experimenting. Yes. Oh, I love experiments. very good. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm taking pictures of the seedlings that do have it and don't have it and seeing if, you know, we have a difference here. So we'll see. Oh, great. Great. So in our pre-talk, before we started recording, you mentioned that you had raised rabbits from baby rabbits to plate. And Mm. I know this sometimes makes people cringe. And I like what you said for the vegans. What do you tell the vegans? Just plug your ears and hum for this part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, it, you know, as a culture, we meet, and I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, so a few years ago, I took on raising some uh, chickens in our backyard from chick to plate. And that was quite the experience um, for me. It, uh, it gave me a huge appreciation for healthfully raised chickens uh, and the process that you have to go through. Can you speak about that? I love raising rabbits. I love my rabbits, and um, I, I do. Uh, I really don't like to have them in a cage all the time. That bothers me. Mm-hmm. And so we have bigger pens that we let them out every day in the bigger pens, so they can get some exercise. And then they have to go back in the cage for safety. Right. Because we've had we've had bobcats and possums and um, on our property. So uh, so they go back in the cage at night. But most of the time, you know, they're out. So I think I might feel differently if if it were in a small cage all the time. But anyway, um, I think it it has made a huge difference to us raising the baby rabbits and then learning how to kill them. Mm-hmm. Now that was a that was a big deal for me mm-hmm. and my older boys my older boys did help. But um it it really showed us gave us an appreciation for meat. And we eat because of it, we eat a lot less meat. <laughs> you just you experience everything that went into raising right. that animal. I mean, it's uh, food, it's water constantly, it's slog and we had a really wet spring, so it was slogging through the mud and the wet whether you wanted to or not. Right. And the cold and you know, it, you have to always be available for that animal. And it just gave us a huge appreciation of where our food comes from. I think before when we went to the store and got uh, chicken, uh, it was just, we just didn't have a concept of what went into that and right. that life that was, that kind of that life that was sacrificed mm-hmm. so that we could live. And it's really changed my kids' view, too, I think, of of eating meat. And I, and I hear a lot of great journalists have done a fabulous job about showing how animals are treated in our factory farm system and it's deplorable and it's uh, disheartening and uh, I really wanted to raise an animal that you know had room and uh, the babies were with the mom the time that they needed to be right. and then they had room and they felt the sunshine on their face and the earth under their feet mm-hmm. and um, there's just I think that's the right way to do it it's just something feels good about that yeah no i completely understand that and i i I hear you after i raise the chickens here in my backyard i'm much more of a vegetarian 
you know, it, it shifted the way I feel, feel just about meat. So I hear you on that one. Yes, yes. And, and I do, I'm thankful that I have my boys. My older boys uh, are in Scouts, and they kind of wanted the experience of, of learning how to kill and butcher a rabbit in case they were in a survival situation, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do it. So that was really helpful to have them on board and, and learning how to do that, too. But it was, it was funny. That day, our neighbor came in, and we were right in the middle of, like, rabbit number four, and uh, this neighbor is never speechless and we totally rendered him speechless oh wow (laughs) but it's all good (laughs) yeah yeah exactly all right so i'm going to shift on you here a little bit and i want to talk about a time you failed and how you overcame that failure what did you learn well on a serious note i think when i think my my biggest failure is when something happens with an animal that you because of your error you either did something or didn't do something Mm -hmm. But on a funny note, I do have a story about a time that I considered a huge failure, but, uh-huh. it, but it, it worked out in the end. And that was when I, I had my chicken coop done, and it was towards fall. I did it in the summer. It was towards fall. So I went to a feed store that I normally don't go to because not all feed stores sell chicks in the fall. Right. And uh, this one had a sign that said, straight run. So I looked at the guy in my city self. I said, well, does that mean they run straight? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, no, that means you're going to get the occasional rooster. And I said, okay, you know, but most of them are going to be hens, right? Because I want eggs. I don't want roosters. I'm not allowed to have a rooster, you know, where I live. And so he said, yeah, yeah, there might just be a few roosters in there. And I says, well, what am I going to do with them? And he looked at me like, uh you know, eat them. But he said, you know, I was not open at that point. I had never killed or butchered anything, right. eaten anything from my farm. So I said, uh, well, can I bring him back to you? And he said, sure, yeah. And I said, well, how will I know that they're roosters? <laughs> he, said, well, he said, well, they'll grow bigger than the others and they'll get saddle feathers. I, I didn't know what that meant, but I just nodded. Okay. And they said, and they're, they're combs and, and they're We'll get bigger, you know, we'll be bigger than all the rest. And so I said, okay, well, you know, well, I know this pretty quickly. And he said, oh, yeah, in a few weeks, you'll see what what you have, you know. So I took, my kids picked them out, and they were so excited, and we're raising them, and really enjoying it. How many did you pick up that day? There was a dozen. We picked out even dozen. So I went to church the next day, and I asked a friend that I knew was a farm girl. I said, okay, you grew up on a farm. How can I tell if these are roosters? I'm curious if I've got a rooster. And she said, well, pick them up and turn them upside down. And if they have the strength to raise up and peck your hand, if they have the breast strength to do that, then they're roosters. Oh, interesting. And so we got, uh-huh, I know. So we got home, and I said, okay, kids, turn these little things upside down. Let's see what we got. And they came back to me and says, Mom, they're all roosters. And I said, no. And they said, well, there is this little runt that, you know, that doesn't have much strength. And I looked and I said, well, you know, when I was a kid, I, I raised kittens and dogs. There's always a runt, right? Right. So I thought, these all can't be roosters. <laughs> so, you know, you can kind of tell where I'm going with this, right? That was my hen. Uh-huh. And the you- runt. And you had 11 roosters. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes, I did. And I didn't, you know, I'm kind of in denial. I thought, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. They can't all be roosters, right, Uh of this one. And so I buy my time, and then eventually... 
like four months later, yep. after I've been feeding them all this time, even my city self can tell that that these <laughs> these are roosters that I've got. Right. And so I'm thinking, well, I'm not taking them back to this guy now. I've been feeding them for four months. No way. That what a chicken racket that is. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was kind of in denial, and I'm waiting for a weekend that my husband has off, and he can, you know, hopefully help me butcher these things. And, mm-hmm. and meanwhile, uh, I hear, okay, so I wake up. It was still dark outside, and I wake up, and I sit straight out of bed, and I heard this hellaciously loud sound, and uh-huh. I was like, no way. Yep. And and then there it goes again, and I thought, I mean, it sounded, we had our, it was, in, by this time, it's the middle of winter, and we have our windows closed, and this is loud. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So my husband looks at me and says, you better do something about that. I think <laughs> yeah, he said, I think the police will be here by nine, at least, or eight maybe. Right. And so there I am in my chicken yard, and every time a rooster crows, I've got my coat on, and it's cold, I'm shivering, and I've got a stick. And every time that rooster, I swack it with a stick. You can't do that here. You don't understand. And at that moment, I thought, this is such a failure. What am I going to do? Why do I have these ideas? Why can't I just be normal? (laughs) (laughs) Why did I ever decide to get chickens, right? And, And another rooster crows, and I whack it. So I... I had to put my big girl pants, my big girl pants on, uh-huh. and uh, learn how to butcher a chicken. Oh. And um, yeah, that day because I I also learned something else about roosters. They don't just crow in the morning. Oh no! Uh, they crow all the time. They yep. crow when the mailman comes. Yep. <laughs> they crow when the trash truck goes by. They yep. crow when a dog passes. They crow a lot. <laughs> they crow at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, so something had to be done really right away. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so we uh, we went to the Internet because there really wasn't time to get somebody that actually knew how to do this. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, we went to the Internet, so it was kind of comical. We were running inside and watching on YouTube, and then we'd run outside and, and, figure it and out. do something else. And, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what I'm going to shift a little, uh, again on you. What, what do you consider your biggest success? Uh, definitely my front yard garden. Yeah. Uh, it was a big, it felt like a big accomplishment when, uh, when it got approved by the city. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just, have, my whole life have been afraid to be different. And this was really different and, and out there. And um, so it, it felt really good just to be doing that and making mm-hmm. a, a large step in the right direction, I think. Yeah. What drives you? I always try to let my Heavenly Father be in the driver's seat Mm -hmm. um, because it never seems to work out when I try to drive my life. So (laughs) I try to do what makes him smile. And I think think whenever we join in community and we do something for the good, I think that makes him smile. And I think... um, I think when we not only give someone food, like from the community garden that needs it for mm-hmm. their family, but we teach them how to do that themselves, I think that makes him very happy. And I think when we treat the earth that he created for us um, as good stewards, um, I think that thrills him. And same with the animals. When we treat the animals as they should be treated with compassion, um, and we appreciate that sacrifice of that yeah. life yeah, exactly. so that we can live, I, I think he's all about that. His whole, um, his whole story and his promise is about that life that was sacrificed for us. 
Perfect. So what final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I think don't let anything stop you, especially if you feel like sometimes gardening can be an expensive hobby uh, where I I live. Um, And if you don't have the funds to get started, then get a sponsor that will be willing to to start you up, and, and then you'll give them vegetables or buy you a beehive, and you'll give them the honey. And I guess just pray and listen and think outside the box. And um, and I think uh, our Father's faithful in giving us ideas that we could never imagine for ourselves. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Dash. Thank you so much for having me. It's quite an honor to be yeah, here. Absolutely. And so how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, um, I have a blog, Bloom Where You're Planted, um, and you can search Bloom Where You're Planted Urban Gardening. It usually gets me there. Um, and I kind of share about my adventures and uh, try to make it amusing, as life often is. <laughs> yes, that is and the teach case. And people, teach people in the process and inspire them. Perfect. So, bloomwhereyourplanted.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.